listening to Rumination Thursday, August the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me on the air is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good until I heard somebody, it was a quote about what happened at the ELCA convention. What was that quote? <laughs> that it was horrifying. Oh, horrifying. That's right. And that's what we're going to be starting to talk about. But then we're going to move to a professor at a seminary, Luther Seminary of the ELCA, who has a statement that is just wonderful. And so, first of all, what was the horrifying part of the ELCA convention? Well, they got this uh, interreligious inter document uh, that they put out, and uh, it basically is saying that, that all belief systems are, are on an equal footing, even though they profess uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the others have, others of different faiths have uh, a um, equal value system. And and in that, when they were trying to pass it, was a guy who, uh, one of the pastors who brought up an amendment that they should delete from the argument because they were trying to say, we can't know who God is. And he quoted from John 14, which, which Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And you had people get up and and chastise him for making such a statement. Boy, well, what bothers me, and we're going to go into more detail about this next week. I want to do a little more research on it. But they try to quote Luther for this. They say, Luther said that you cannot judge whether a specific individual is going to heaven or hell, which we all agree with. We, we don't know where their heart is. And they right. use that to say, therefore, we can't say that other religions are not going to heaven because we can't judge their heart. And therefore, they're going in fellowship with uh, Hindus, Muslims, Mormons, and not just Christians, and going to have that kind of a fellowship, and that's a tragedy. Right. And to go back to what we discussed many years ago, you know, from Alan Schmidt, that the Bible talks about faith uh, as the true faith in, in the triune God, and it doesn't talk about faith or belief system, so to speak, of the false gods. Yes, in fact... That kind of really leads us into the article I found. It was entitled Reflections on an ELCA Mission Statement. And that's the mission statement you were just talking about. And it is by Mark Colden, who is a professor at Luther Seminary. And he says something that I think is really well stated. We've talked about this before on law and gospel, but not in the context of it being a critical understanding uh, against what the ELCA is doing. Remember, uh, Issues Etc., Todd Wilkin indicated that after he saw what was being said at the ELCA, that they're not only not Lutheran, they're no longer Christian. Christian, yes. 
and I think in this article that you found, it's just a gem that kind of encapsulates everything that was going, not only the mission statement, but just about everything else that was going on at the Elka Convention. You know, I hadn't really thought about this before, but he shows that rather than justification by faith alone, the ELCA is now teaching justification by grace. Grace, yes. Now, explain why the Reformers rejected that medieval church's teaching. Well, in the New Testament, they, they look at God's saving grace as some as something. Yes. Uh, or some power. And uh, instead of God's graciousness towards us. And if grace is understood in the pre-Reformation of work righteousness, then we become righteous in God's sight and merit salvation by us doing something. Yeah. And, and, that's, that, go ahead. and the Roman Catholics still attributed that to grace, but they understood grace, as you says, as a power. And as uh, the professor says, which God gave to people through the church's sacraments so that people would be able to cooperate with God in becoming righteous. It kind of t turns that just before the, when when this uh, we got on, they, they quoted Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And it undoes all the uh, things about salvation by grace through faith. Yeah, that uh, verse would have to be changed, that God created us to do good works so we could be right with him. Right. Yeah, very well. Well said. Remember, Abraham, what were the many good works he did where God said to him, Oh, I declare you righteous. <laughs> Not a single one. Not a right. single one. Well said. It was because he believed the promise that God had given about him and Sarah going to have a baby at their elderly age. Yeah, that was what he feed, or, um, Galatians 15. Abram believed and God credited to him his righteousness. Yes. And... Um, as the New Testament said, and you've already indicated, grace is not a thing we get. Rather, it's God's favor. In other words, parents are gracious to their children because even when they're disobedient, they continue to feed them, clothe them, uh, give them a bed to sleep in, etc. And it's not on the basis of the children's obedience that this happens. It's instead on the basis of the graceful attitude that the parents have towards them. Right, and I think he nailed it well for, for their convention because they did have somebody get up and say that, well, we're doing all these things, and so God must, must love us for it, and uh, we're not being punished for it, so it's okay. Yeah, in fact... That's almost a quote from the Pharisees. Thank God we're not like that tax collector because we do this, we do that. God's not punishing us. And so that's work righteousness to the exempt degree. Right. He brings that out in his statement. That there's been a lack of scripture used in, in its proper context. Now, that was a really good point 
that he said that there was very little Bible used in the convention because they're all toward social ministry, which means okaying abortion, okaying homosexuality, and these kinds of things. Um, I saw a movie recently, and it really was very good. They were uh, looking for a pedophile, and the policeman said, we are going to search for them as long as we can. We are going to go after them because of what they're doing to little children. And it suddenly struck me that those same words God uses against unrepentant adulterers, mm-hmm. unrepentant homosexuals, unrepentant abortionists, etc. God comes after us, and he did that with the Babylonian captivity. So who knows what happens in these individual lives that isn't a direct result of their unrepentant sin. Sins, yeah. I got the feeling when I was watching parts of the, that convention, they call it a church assembly, not a not a convention. And they they have communion each day at the noon hour. I mean, they, they in other words, they were playing church and not following following church. In other words, following what Christ had to say. And we know they were just playing church because they were inviting to communion. This is their stance. Uh, individuals who are of different denominations that do not believe that it is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Blood of Christ. Exactly. Very, yeah, great point. Great point. It reminds us of Luther uh, against those who were against Holy Communion and was saying that that was really the work of the devil. And hmm. I, I don't understand laity in the ELCA that are just tolerating this again and again i you know as i watched that i thought are they blind to this it's just a few people that are coming out and saying it like like the fellow from who quoted john 14 i am the way jesus said i am the way the truth and the life yes and to chastise him for bringing up that the reason they chastised him is because that was law against them, accusing them of going contrary to God himself. Now, I would say the majority of people in the ELCA are Christians who do not believe this. And who is believing this are these women pastors. And and you ought to know this right from the beginning. As soon as a woman becomes a pastor, you know she doesn't believe in the Bible because that's contrary to the Bible right there. So anything that comes out of her mouth from there always ought to be under uh, enlightenment and under checking it out, questioning what does she really mean by this. And this is part of the reason why many ELCA congregations are shrinking in size because they're no longer being fed the Word of God. How did you know? Do you must have watched that ones that chastise the, the the male pastor or female pastors? Oh, I did not know that. No, I yeah. haven't seen that. Yeah, I watched it this week, and it, after we decided that we were going to go in there, I I take a look at that, that the the video clip, and it was a female pastor that got up and chastised him for being wrong. Oh. 
Well, I remember in an ELCA uh, newsletter that they had put out on the Athanasian Creed, where it talks about that on Judgment Day, God is going to judge you on the basis of your works. And the whole article was saying that that was unbiblical, what the Athanasian Creed said, even though that was a quote out of the Bible. (laughs) So you're wondering what's being taught at the seminary. I had a listener who was an ELCA pastor. I still have his email he sent me where he says he really enjoys the KFUO programs and the ones on law and gospel because when he was at the seminary, he never heard of the distinction between law and gospel. Right. And I, I, that's why the convention looks so, so horrifying. Yes. We, we left behind that whole thing of justification by grace through faith. Well, he says this uh, again and again uh, throughout his article. He said something that um, was really interesting. The gospel does not say that we are not guilty. It says that we are guilty, but that God pardons us on account of Christ. And so if you're looking to get grace from God so you're no longer as guilty as you once were, that's falling right into Satan's trap of salvation by works. Right. I got that one underlined, too. It doesn't say that Jesus has done his part and we need to do our part. It says that in no way have we earned a right relationship with God and we we don't have to because the, the gospel is there. Now, even though I no longer consider the official position of the ELCA to be Christian, the official position of Southern Baptists, they're wrong in some areas, but not to the point where they're not Christian. But one of the areas that they're definitely wrong on is this idea that they can invite Christ into their heart, that it's up to them. And here's how they interpret John 3:16: For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes will be saved. They say God's part was in sending his only begotten Son. Our part is to therefore choose to believe. Hmm. That turns Ephesians 2 over and against that, doesn't it? Yes. Um, quote that, the one you're talking about, that we're saved by faith through grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Yes. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. Boast. That's right. And... For- He makes a really good point that every time that they adopt something, they should be looking at it in context of how does this advance the gospel. Gospel, yes. I thought that was really good because he has a proper understanding of the gospel that that is God's gift to us of not only having our sins forgiven, but also being considered righteous in his sight not by obedience, but through faith in his promises. Right. He goes on to say everything needs to serve the gospel, and all other things are secondary. Yes. And a lot was secondary as they were talking about social action, social ministry, and and this sort of thing. And uh, there's a lot going on in the church these days. Uh, yesterday, I talked to an 
uh, older gentleman. Um, he's in his 50s, who is just starting at one of our seminaries to become a pastor. And he was really wondering whether he should do that. And he told me that one of the professors he was talking to when he was asked, do you think I should come to the sem? And the professor said, God needs you. And that changed Mm. his mind. And he's definitely going through the seminary now and going to become a wonderful pastor. I know him real well, and he's got a great understanding of law and gospel because he has a pastor who understands it also and does wonderful sermons. But that's not what you're hearing. I have a close relative whose church, the ELCA, just had to close down because it was no longer able to afford um, all of his expenses. And she's trying to figure out where to go now and... Uh, perhaps in light of the convention, we can help make up our mind wherever is the nearest LCMS church, try and get to that. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I've seen some Alka churches here that, that have folded and continue to fold. You know, and there's one that's surviving, but they they teach salvation by grace through faith. Yes, not all ELCA churches have been corrupted by Satan. Uh, I attended what became an ELCA church, and the pastor's sermon was, I didn't consider it a sermon, but it was a very good doctrinal that evolution is wrong and creation is correct. And that was out of one of their congregations, which, of course, the official position of the ELCA is that evolution is the way that God created the world. It really comes down to what what uh, this article is talking about, that it's the gospel first, and, and it's Jesus first in, 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 our, in our lives and in salvation, that uh, regardless of your background, you know, if you believe in the, and trust in the promises of the gospel, you are saved. Yes, the strategic planning... Uh, he talks about this a little bit, and much of it was on social ministry, ministry. Uh, allowing uh, men who are ministers to marry one another, um, this kind of thing. And he makes this statement. It's the last paragraph. The danger of strategic planning is that the plan and we who do the planning become more important than the ultimate reason that we are planning in the first place. Now, I thought that was really a good insight. Now, unpack that a little bit. Well, you heard, uh, as you said, the program before ours, where they were talking uh, about helping people that are really in trouble, you know, disaster relief. Right. We don't do disaster relief just for the purpose of building more houses or giving people food. We do it also as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. You understand Mm -hmm. that? Sure. And that's where your strategic planning needs to focus on the cross rather than on our own specific desires. Mm Hmm. Well, he goes on to say the importance of strategic planning is when it develops its true center through the planning process and through the implementation. The true center becomes 
the center for everyone. And, and what you're saying is the center is the cross of, of Christ. This is why we, even in the Missouri Synod, have a problem with some congregations. You go to their worship services, and it appears like you're at a youth jamboree rather than a proper worship service. And that's because the strategic planning of that worship service did not have the cross. I've attended LCMS churches, uh, one of whom has changed its name, left off the word Lutheran, and you don't even know it's a church, and heard their sermons, and what they're about is we need to become, I mean, I remember one particularly, uh, like Esther, who uh, was very bold in what she did, and uses people as an examples of how we are to live, much like uh, a lot of false religions use Jesus as an example rather than the Savior. That's what happens when strategic planning forgets about the cross. You know, you you say that at the convention they they had a video clip of a of a church that called itself Neighborhood Church. They took off the name of Lutheran and did exactly what you just talked about. Yeah, for some reason they think going into a jamboree kind of setting for worship is going to bring in more people. Now it might because, I mean, symphony. Do you like listening to symphonies? Oh yeah. And so you go every night, right? <laughs> Not hardly. Not hardly at all. I mean, um, people, you can get tired of it real fast, and that's what's happened. In fact, I've heard pastors of these churches say regular attendance means maybe once every month or once every two months, and mm. they consider that to be something that's really good. Whereas for us in the old days, church every Sunday. Can you imagine getting up on Sunday morning and telling your parents you had made the decision that you didn't want to go to church, but instead um, uh, play with your cell phone? (laughs) (laughs) You know, as we speak, I know one of our churches has one of these uh, flashing signs, you know, electric signs out there. Right, right. Out on the road and they invited and a family took him up on their words, and he they decided that they wanted to join that church because they loved hearing the gospel in its truth and purity. So it wasn't the sign that did it. It was the good news. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm kind of sad when I see a lot of signs. I, I was driving for Uber. I go by a lot of churches with signs, and I always take the time to see what have they got on there right now. And um, one I saw was, Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question? (laughs) I Uh, mean, uh, not only a Christian church could put that up, uh, Mormons could put it up, Jehovah Witnesses could put it up, everybody could put it up, but they mean something entirely different as to how he is the answer. And for the ELCA... The answer is that Jesus now and our trust in him replaces God's law in the Bible. So we no longer have to listen to the law of God. That's old stuff. We now listen to Jesus within us and follow the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And that's the reason why they're sinking so fast in the eyes of God. And I think that's why this article that you found is 
so important because it centers on on the gospel and, and not on ourselves. Well, it shows there's still hope in ELCA. I'm going to wonder, once this gets publicized, what happens to this professor at this seminary because he is definitely teaching contrary to what the ELCA is now teaching. Don't you think they'll marginalize him to some degree or a greater degree? Yes. Yeah, they'll just not probably do anything about it. But uh, that's why we in the Missouri Synod, our convention was so different that I can't think of a resolution that was not cross-focused, as Issues Etc. says. And that's why... We should be proud to be members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but always ready to examine ourselves so that we do not fall into the temptations of Satan. Well said, well said. So next week, we'll look for another subject. I think we're going to study the resolution adopted by the ELCA. Yeah, I... It's a 24-page document. I think it's worth going through. I think you're right. Thanks very much, Wes Reimnitz. And I'm Tom Baker. Tomorrow's Open Mic Friday. You got a question about what we just said? Don't hesitate to call. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.